Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, where classical gourmands everywhere can finally get their fill. Join us for a delectable discussion of Greco-Roman civilization stretching from the Minoans and Mycenaeans through the Renaissance and right down to the present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Welcome, Ad Nauseam listeners, to episode 116. My name is Dr. David C. Noe. I'm here in the Vomitorium, Vomitorium South, with my good friend, oft-time colleague, erstwhile colleague, and uh, co-host, Dr. Jeffrey T. Winkle. How are you, Jeff? I'm feeling good. The sun was shining as we walked into yes, the bunker that was this, nice. uh, uh, this afternoon, and I'm excited. I'm, I'm leaving for Greece in, yes. in a week. Rub it in. Yep, and um, we could maybe talk a little bit about that at the, at the end of the episode. I'd love to. Sure. Yep. Did I use the term erstwhile? You did. Possib- did I use it correctly, though? I, I don't know how you use that word. I don't know. I, don't. I, I like the way it sounds, but I've never really fully known. I like the way it sounds, too. Right. Exactly. So yeah. I have similar problems with the word zeitgeist. Oh, zeitgeist? I'm pretty sure I've used that incorrectly. All the German terms are subject to misuse. <laughs> exactly. Nachleben. Yeah. We got doppelganger right, though. I think we got that one uh-huh. right. Yeah, that's got to be near the top of my list. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, Those Germans, they have words for everything. They do. Stick to uh, uh, Gesundheit and you be okay. Yeah, exactly. There was another one I came across recently, Zenzucht. Zenzucht. Yeah, it's a feeling of longing for something. I think it's Zenzucht. Ah, I, I, I don't, I like that. Yes, I do that, too. I had a, there was a German exchange student with, that I went to uh, in high school and he was telling me that, um, you know, the Gesundheit. Right. You know, they, they have, the, also when you sneeze, you say that over there as well. Yes. Um, it, it means, you know, health. You know, yes, good, good health. health. And so the joke was when someone sneezes, you, you wish, you wish them Schönheit. You wish them beauty. Oh, Schönheit. Right? So it was kind of a joke. Like, ah, oh, you need Interesting. to be, you need to, you need to become more attractive. Right. right? Like <laughs> the, um, like the Seinfeld episode. You're well, so good looking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Instead yeah, of yeah. saying, God bless you. Yeah. You say, so looking right, right. Yes. yeah so as um to attach this to the classics yes as individuals who went through graduate school matriculated and so forth mm-hmm. we had to demonstrate capacity in at least two contemporary languages of research that is true and mine were german and french as were mine and that's pretty standard sometimes there's a little bit of spanish oh really yeah or italian because both of those languages there's a, a body of classical scholarship in spanish and italian yeah not as large as german or french but yeah so sometimes people will say to me, you know, um, what languages do you know? I say, well, English primarily, but also some Greek and Latin. Do you know German? Say, well, I know a little German. Oh, really? Yeah. Klaus. <laughs> That's his name. Right. Exactly. right. Yeah. Lives down the street. He's a short little guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know, in grad school, yeah, those were the only two options available to. to oh, were German and French? Yeah. They offered us, we did, um, there were two su- two consecutive summers. They right. offered like a, like a, a cram course. Intensive. Did you have that too? I did that for German yeah. and therefore I was exempt from taking the proficiency exam. Oh, nice. Yeah. But for French, I just studied and took the proficiency exam. Yeah. Well, with a background in Latin, it makes it, it's much. It's the much French was very, very easy. easy. Yeah, exactly. But German. No, I needed that course. Oh, that was difficult. Yeah, very, mm-hmm. very difficult. Yeah. Right. So what are we talking about again? How did we, we, how did we get off on that tangent? Uh, we were talking about different German terms. That's what it was. Right. Okay, all right. But what and are we talking about today? I used today? the term erstwhile, and then you threw in zeitgeist. That's it. It's all coming back to me yes. now. Right. It's all coming back. It's coming back to you now. <laughs> we're talking about Camilla. Camilla. In book 11. Yes. We are near the end of the epic, and Camilla is the warrior princess mm-hmm. uh, who has a an Aristea, right? A yeah. moment of great exploit. She's got her jazz solo here. She does. In book 11, but it ends on kind of a sad note, a blue note. It does. And we were talking a little bit last time. I think the, our opening quote from last time was talking about kind of the isolation of Camilla. Right. And kind of puzzling about that. And, mm-hmm. and one of the, the striking things about her 
is that she never meets Aeneas. Right. You might expect like, okay, this is going to end in a hand to hand in a duel, but that's not, that's not her story. No. In the Marvel universe, Mm -hmm. if you introduce a fantastic character like Camilla, for her not to have some kind of contretemps, ooh, there's some French. Yeah, nice. Some kind of contretemps with the main protagonist would be deeply disappointing. Yes, and it'd be really strange. Correct. Even if it's obviously staged, right? It doesn't serve the plot. You have to bring them together just because of the conflict of their powers, right? Exactly. You've got to show that. Exactly. But Camilla never has that with Aeneas. That, That detail reminds me actually of Caddyshack. You've seen Caddyshack? I don't think so. No, I know it's Bill Murray and it's a golf course. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So apparently, uh, so Bill Murray's in there and Chevy Chase are also in there. Right. And so they they filmed, they, they wrapped the film and they realized that there were no scenes in Caddyshack where you have Bill Murray and Chevy Chase actually together. Oh, really? And these were two, you know, SNL. They were really popular Very at popular the time. at the time, 1980, late 70s. And so they actually went back and fil- filmed an additional scene just for the sake of having those two guys together. Oh. Right, so... It's almost like a, like a test audience would come back and say, really? You have these two guys and, and they, right. don't, they don't interact? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So that's the Camilla and Aeneas, Aeneas. here then. So which one is Bill Murray? Um, I would say that um, I think Camilla is more Bill Murray. I would say so. Yeah. And Aeneas is our Chevy Chase. Right. That's a stretch. Yeah. Well, he plays the straight man sometimes. <laughs> that is true. And uh, so Aeneas would be doing that. There we go. All right. So as we get started, mm-hmm. uh, we have an opening quote. Yeah. Right. The Ope quote. And we hope you like it. This is from uh, the author is E.N. Genovese. Yes. And the article is Pacific Coast Philology. That's the source. April 1975, we were just we uh, lads at that point. That's right. And um, the title is Deaths in the Aeneid. Yes. yes. Right. So shall I read this for I'd us? love to hear right. it. Right. So in this, I, I took the quote here from uh, kind of the middle of his article. And generally speaking, what he's, what uh, Genovese is doing, I don't know if it's he or she, what um, they're trying to do is connect themes in all of the major deaths. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he, he makes an argument that there is a kind of a clear arc as you go from Dido to Turnus. Okay. And he's locating Camilla in this sequence. Uh, Genovese writes, but the final and most obvious transition from Dido to Turnus is found in Camilla, who is in fact a Dido of the battlefield. Hmm. And is clearly associated with the queen through the image of Penthesilea. Camilla, like the Amazon on the frieze of Juno's temple in Carthage, is the last to be listed in the catalog of Italian warriors, and she, too, is the only woman. Significantly, she is a dedicated favorite of Venus's traditional rival, Diana, with whom Dido was compared at length. I don't remember that. But it's I'm, in book four. It is, but I just don't remember that comparison. Um, I think that the, the extended comparison is during the hunt scene. Oh, okay. Is okay. It, isn't the hunt scene in book four? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay. Well, Dido and um, Aeneas go on a hunt and they, you know, back themselves into a cave and lo and behold, they get married. That's right. That's and, right. And Dido is compared to the huntress. There we go. Um, continue, continuing on. Camilla is nevertheless an Italian and shares with Turnus his hatred for the Trojans. Her death is noteworthy first for the effect that it has on Turnus. Ila Furens, he goes mad. Goes berserk, yeah. Uh, second, Camilla's last thoughts are of her absent comrade, that he should take her place in combat and keep the Trojans from the city. Moreover, we may not neglect the verse describing her death, since it is used again to end the Aeneid with the death of Turnus. And I thought this was really interesting, mm. that kind of that linguistic connection. We talk with cum gametu fugit indignata sub umbras. The same the same words are used for Turnus' death as used for Camilla. Exact same phrase. Yes. The force of repetition is not lost since both youthful warriors, like the young Trojan Euryalus, died because of furious excess, their lust for spoil. Aruns is able to bring down Camilla because she has become carelessly obsessed 
with pursuing the richly accoutred Chlorius. The gleaming helmet of the slain Misapus betrayed Euryalus. The belt of Pallas will prompt Aeneas to carry out the revenge he owes Evander. Hmm. Nice. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I didn't, when as I was reading this, this, um, this book earlier this week, that didn't right. strike me as kind of this connection between, oh, it's their obsession over the spoils yeah. that, um, that kind of takes them off the path and leads to their death. But that's an interesting connection. It's a very interesting connection. The third element here in the list that he gives, I don't understand its place. So okay. when, when he says, the gleaming helmet of the slain Mesopus, this is from book nine, mm-hmm. betrayed Euryalus. So that's a reference to the, the nighttime raid of right. Nisus and Euryalus. Okay, right. good. Um, and the same holds true here of Camilla, right? Because she's obsessed with pursuing Chlorius. Right. But the belt of Pallas will prompt Aeneas to carry out the revenge he owes Evander. Yeah, I don't buy that. The connection there is, okay, Aeneas is responding to the presence of a, a piece of clothing. Right. But it has nothing to do with his motivation. It's not that he wants to possess it. Yes. Like Euryalus wanted to possess the exactly. helmet. So right. that seems kind of off. And it doesn't quite work because, of course, the... the uh, the getting of that belt back doesn't lead to Anissa's death. No. Right. So, so yeah, I, I think I'm agreed. I agree with you. That doesn't quite fit here. Right. But the rest of it, very insightful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and interesting. So where did we last see Camilla? Because right. she has appeared previously in the epic. Right. And I think we briefly uh, uh, talked about her on our, our episode on book uh, seven. But in the very last lines of book seven, Virgil introduces, uh, introduces us to this warrior uh, maiden. Right. So our episode on book seven, that was 2018. Is that when we... <laughs> Seriously. Touched right? on that? <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. Oh, my. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I barely remember this, but... Yes. And, and um, refreshing uh, my memory, that kind of image of her kind of riding, running over the waves and the tops yeah. of the grain is quite striking. Yeah. Shall I read that little bit of Lombardo here? Yeah, do it. Okay, so... The, the last lines of book seven. So last of all rode Camilla the Volscian, leading her mounted troops and squadrons flowering in bronze. The princess warrior had not trained her hands to women's work, spinning and weaving, but trained to endure the hardships of war and to outrun the wind. She could sprint over a field of wheat and not even bruise the tender ears, could cruise above the open sea's waves and never wet the soles of her feet. All the young men, and their mothers too, flocked from their houses and left their fields to watch her ride by, mouths open in wonder, at how the royal purple draped her smooth shoulders, how her hair was bound in gold, and how she carried a Lycian quiver and an iron-tipped spear. That is so interesting, isn't it? It is. It really is. That And that detail um, of the people kind of... You know, standing agape. Yes, reminds me of that that bit from um, Ovid's Daedalus and Icarus, where oh, he, yeah. he imagines you know the the shepherd and, and the others kind of frozen and kind of wondering if these are gods traveling the sky. Yes, so, it's the Bruegel the Elder painting. Exactly right. right. And so the world stops when Camilla comes by, and everybody has to has to look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a literary device, it's very clever for Virgil to invite his readers to become part of the audience. By describing how an audience responds. Yes. So you're invited to think, okay, so I'm standing there by the roadside also as Camilla rides by or as she races by. Right, right, right. Brings us into the situation. Exactly, right. Now, I was just curious, do you think we're meant to take, you know, these details of her running over the tops of, 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 of grain and skipping across the water literally? Of course. So she has these kind of divine-like powers. I don't know. The, the line between divine and mortal is not so fixed at this time. Everybody's descended from a god or goddess. Okay. Can't you do these kinds of things? You never run faster than the wind? Never. Okay. Never in my life, right? <laughs> <laughs> run for us, run. Right. So, I, I, you know, we, I mean, we do learn about this. I mean, she's blessed by, well, not blessed by, but favored by Diana. Yes. All right. So maybe that's, you know, maybe part of this. I just, I just, I read that and I wonder, okay, is this a little bit of 
poetic hyperbole. Sure, it could be. Right. Yeah. I kind of take it at face value. Okay. It's a it's great dramatic impact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very evocative and uh, pulls out your imagination. So I also, before we kind of dive in, I wanted to mention um, kind of this detail we talked to just we just uh, touched upon a little bit last time. This idea that um, Camilla is a is one of the only kind of pure inventions of Virgil. Right. That this is not drawing upon any kind of um, of uh, of Roman tradition. Right. Other, or Greek tradition. Or Greek, or Greek tradition. Right. Um, and I just I was curious, kind of what what you think about that. If that's true, what is he up to? Why does Virgil craft this singular unique character what's the point oh I, boy i don't know yeah um <clears throat> i'm trying to think in comparison to ovid you know the character tumnus vertumnus that's what i'm looking for the fawn vertumnus yeah who is in um the metamorphoses yes and vertumnus right becomes a kind of a woodland cicero and he's when he is uh, is it pomona who whom he's romancing yeah yeah i yeah, think yeah, so yeah, yes yeah. it's pomona so ovid scours the landscape for indigenous personalities, Kamena, the muse, and so forth. He, he talks about the Sibyl, right, the Italian Sibyl. Um, in order to incorporate indigenous elements into what's basically a catalog of Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. so Virgil's kind of doing the same thing, uh, but there isn't, I guess, someone who fits this role of uh, an indigenous woman who is great in war, great in battle. Yeah. Who, who's the character? In fact, the only individuals from Roman history that you can think of mostly had very disastrous endings, like Tarpeia, right? Who yeah. betrayed the Romans, and so she was thrown from the rock. Right. She betrayed uh, the city to the Gauls, and I mean, she couldn't fit in here anyway. Chron yeah. Chronology's wrong. And then Lucretia, mm -hmm. right? But in terms of a heroic woman, someone who has great battlefield exploits, who is there? That's a, really, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, and as I was kind of pondering this too, I kind of, I kind of settled on two things. I think you know, in, we said that you know, he's not drawing upon a Greek tradition for the character of Camille. Well, he kind of is. I mean, he compares her to Penthesilea, right? So uh, it reminds me of the the you know part of the Trojan saga. The, Am right. the Amazons come to to help the Trojans. Yep. And so it's kind of a it's a switcheroo mm -hmm. where Cam Camilla is kind of our stand-in for the Amazons. She shows up to help the Rutulians right. and the Latins, enemies of the Trojans, enemies of the Trojans, right? And the second thing I thought of was is um, she's she's Volscian. Mm -hmm. And um, what we know from Roman history is that that particular tribe was a thorn in the side yes. of, as the Romans started to expand in, in their territory and was a particularly ferocious enemy. And it was very difficult for them to 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 put down and to incorporate. Right. And so I wonder if that he, he makes Camilla stand out um, as a Volscian. Mm. And that's kind of the point. It's, okay, the, she represents kind of these, these peoples that the Romans have had so much trouble with for so yes. long. That's yeah. very persuasive. Right. Which I think, um, and I've read things or heard things that, you know, Camilla is, uh, because she's a warrior woman, mm -hmm. you know, she stands out. And so she's been, you know, interpreted as a kind of, you know, feminist ideal, right? Okay. In, the, in, a, in a sea of patriarchy. Right. But if we look at her as a Volscian, and she represents this this bugbear, this boogeyman for the Romans, mm. I think that undercuts kind of a notion of that Virgil intends for us to see her as heroic. Yes, that's a good point. Maybe the fact that she is a woman makes her death more tragic. Tragic. Pathetic. Oh. Yeah. So he gets, you know, he gets two for one. Yeah. The, the focus yeah. is really on the Volscian connection, but that's highlighted by the fact that she's a woman. She's a woman. And then from, from Genovese's uh, point of view, that connects her to Dido. Correct. So we're supposed to be reminded of her to some degree. And she's beautiful, right? She's yeah. described not just as having great military prowess, but 
her smooth shoulders, her hair bound in gold, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So um, it's, you know, there's a, an attractiveness there. And so when she dies, yeah. it's it's more sad. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Well, let's, let's dive back into the narrative. What okay. do you say? Yep. Let's do that. All right. So we remember from the, the, our last episode, uh, the Trojans and the Latins uh, have, they've had a truce. They've had some time to bury their dead. And um, now in the second half, uh, the Trojans uh, end the truce, end the truce, sorry, uh, moving on the Latins, and the Latins are scrambling to get ready for this next onslaught of mm -hmm. battle, right? And we have some Latin here, All starting right. at line 477. You want to read some? I'd love to. Nec non ad templum sumas quad pallidus arces, subvehetur magna matrum regina caterva, dona ferens juxtaqua comes lavinia virgo, causa mali tanti oculos deiecta decoros. Suke dunt matres et templum tura vapordrant et maestas alto fundunt de limina voces, arme patent praeses belli tritonio virgo, franga menu te lumfrigii praedonis et ipsum, pro num sterna salo portis quafunda subaltis. Nicely done as always. Thank you. There was a hiatus there. That's right. right. Explain what what is not right. to the audience. What? Hiatus? So um, this poetry, a dactylic hexameter, right? Scanning along, rapid combination of dactyls and spondies. So you've got the dactyl, long, short, short, and the spondy, long, long. But sometimes if one word ends with a vowel or an H, and the next word begins with a vowel or an M, mm -hmm. did I get that right? No. If it ends in a vowel or M, yes, yes. begins in a vowel or, or H, H, Yes. then the words can collapse together, called elision. Mm -hmm. And so they're pronounced together. So in the fourth line that I read, we have tanti, which ends in a vowel. Mm-hmm. The next word begins with a vowel O, oculos. So it looks like there should be an elision. There, there should be an elision. So yeah. normally we would say tantaculos. We'd run them together. But the poet can introduce a breathing, right? He can tell us, oh, nope, this is a breathing spot. They don't elide. Yeah. So kausamali tanti oculos. And a hiatus usually brings great drama to the line. Yes. It's a pause. You ever sing in a choir? I have. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you sing in a choir... Everyone in your section, or maybe even everyone in the choir, is supposed to breathe at the same time. Right. So you don't have 25 different people gasping for breath <laughs> at 25 different places. Exactly. So you take a pencil and you mark the music and we're all going to breathe here. Yes. That's kind of like what a hiatus is. Nice. You're supposed to breathe here. Right. That's interesting because the, um, the the hiatus is right after the words that when I was reading, I wanted to call attention exactly, to. Exactly. The right. most important words, you right. might say. Yeah. Can you read us uh, the Lombardo portion of this translation? Yes. The queen herself rode with a throng of women to the temple of Pallas on the high on the high citadel, bearing gifts. And at her side, eyes lowered modestly, was the maiden Lavinia, the cause of all this misery. Mm. The women went up and filled the temple with clouds of incense. Their sad voices drifted down from the threshold. Mistress of war, Tritonian maiden, break the spear of the Phrygian marauder and lay him out on the ground before our gates. Mm. So I just thought that was the the, the referring to Lavinia as the causa malitanti, yes. the cause of all of these great of this great evil. Yeah. Um I thought was I don't a little unfair. Really? Yes. Because I mean I what's striking one thing I found striking about book 11 here is in the second half we have a, a deep contrast between what I take right. one of the most boring of the feminine characters, Lavinia. Lavinia. She's a she's a cipher. She never speaks. Never speaks. Doesn't do anything. Right. And then Camilla, who's this extraordinary uh, right. figure who just jumps off the page. Right. Um. But this this language that kind of Virgil makes a point of like, oh, well, this is all Lavinia's fault. Right. That's that has not been that well, has not been uh, foreshadowed at all. I mean, what what's going on here? 
She seems to be so uninvolved in everything. Does Kausa always indicate culpa, right? For her to be the cause of such great misery. Mm. Mm. She's the cause in the sense that it's why it happened, but does she necessarily bo- uh, bear moral blame? Mm. I'm not sure he's saying that. Yeah, okay. And so if we compare Lavinia to Homer's Helen. Yes. Um, Homer's definitely saying that about Helen. Yes. He calls her kunops, right? Dogface. Right. <laughs> Uh, right, right, right. And it's, yeah. it's clear that the Trojans generally hate her, um, although they are, you know, her uh, hosts while she's there in the city. Yeah. Hector, you know, he, he's kind of fond of her. They have some exchanges, but he knows she's the cause of the battle. Priam has to say, it's okay, we're not going to mistreat you. He doesn't, He Priam says he doesn't blame her. Right. Right. But the whole city kind of has a little bit of a, a strong discomfort. You right. Know, a little bit of a strong discomfort. They're uncomfortable with Helen. Yeah. So I think their cause and and guilt go together. Gotcha. I'm not sure that's the same for Lavinia. Okay, that's, that's I think I, I like that. I think when I read, you know, Causa, uh, and then when I read, um, you know, Lombardo's translation, the cause of all this misery, I immediately kind of equated it with with culpa. Right. Um. But it, comparing it to Helen, you know, the the backstory with Helen is that um, although all the Greeks argued about this, she has a lot more agency. Yes. In her choice to run off with Paris, right. or at least in some traditions, Lavinia has just. She doesn't do anything, right? And so I thought that even the mild suggestion that the the the, the guilt of this rests on her, I thought, yep. which is, it was, it struck me as odd. Well, you could even argue is she is she really the cause? I mean, if you subtract from the equation the notion of culpa or guilt and blame, is she even really the causa? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. The the cause is the fate for Aeneas to inhabit the peninsula and found the Roman people, right? So she's just a she's a cog in the machine. Exactly. Yeah. And a very boring cog, as you've pointed out. Right. She give which Virgil would give her some lines. You know, right. To, to take make her a little bit three dimensional. Do you know if anyone has ever um, done a mashup or a backstory or anything? You know, the story of um, the the invasion of the Trojans from the perspective of Lavinia. Not that I not that I'm aware of. I mean, there's been a lot of that. Is kind it of- Madeline Miller is the the novelist of whom you're a great fan. The Cer- I do like her. The a Circe lot. novel. Yes. Right. I mean, she also has the Song of Achilles, which is a, more or less kind of a retelling of the Iliad in more kind of you know, modern modern prose. It's very well done. Right. But I'm, I'm thinking more along those lines that something like Margaret Atwood's The Penelope Ad, where she okay. looked at the story of the Odyssey from the viewpoint of Penelope. Hmm. And one of my students just yesterday was talking to me about, um, I think it's uh, some novel, I think it's called something like A Thousand Ships, hmm. that um, looks at the uh, the Trojan War through the lens of, of female characters. This mm-hmm. is a very, this is a kind of a trend right now. It is a trend, right? sure. So I, it's I mean, a wide open field. There's right. a lot of material. Exactly. It's so, already been done. Yeah. In Greek and Latin, right? You have Euripides' endless retellings. The, of course. The Trojan women, the right. Andromache, the Hecuba. Iphigenia. The Helen, the Iphigenia. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just five plays off the top of our head. Right. Uh, and Ovid did it too, right? Right. With his Heroides and such. But it hasn't been done in English in a, in a modern sense. Right. Too, exactly. too much. Too much, right. And and, and the uh, in the modern sense, it often kind of comes prepackaged with a with a, a, you know, here it comes. Well, you know, politics and ideology, it's hard to, to yeah, they corrupt a lot of things, don't they? Yeah. And are they, they're just kind of the, they're just kind of the, the water in which these things swim. Right. Um, but I think like Lavinia, because there's such, such a nothingness to her, would be the perfect kind of loose it's a, thread to it's kind of a tell blank it. slate. It's a blank it? slate. You can Maybe t- we should cancel the podcast and you and I write a romance novel about <laughs> Lavinia. <laughs> oh, man. Could we team write that? <laughs> oh, it would be so, it would be so wonderfully awful. It'd I be think. terrible. It'd be terrible. <laughs> Just imagine the dialogue. Right. I can't do that. But because she's quiet, you you know, it's, it's 
wide open arena. Yeah, exactly. You can impose on this character whatever you want. Right. So, but it's 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 kind of fascinating to think about. Like, what must she be thinking through all of this? Well, she had a terrible mother, right? Ama- True. Amada was awful. Awful. Yeah. Uh, even before the problem with the Fury, Amada was awful. Right. Right. Um, and her father, Latinus, he's he's pretty bland. Yeah. So yeah, she's got a lot of a lot of uh, strikes against her. Yes. But well, went on to be though the mother of the Roman race. That's true. That's true. But a, a blank slate. Yeah. All right. So then Camilla arrives. Okay. And um, I thought was really striking. She just takes over. She basically tells uh, Turnus, "You hang back. I'll take care of this." And I thought it was just really striking that Turnus immediately just steps aside. Hmm. And it, I mean, that's at odds with the Turnus that we just saw in the first half. Right. He's you know he is spitting back against it. Was it Dronkes? That's right. Insulting him. Yep. And blaming him for all of this stuff and. He's uh he's on fire, but when Camilla shows up and basically tells him, "You stay back and guard the walls. I'll uh I'll take care of this." He, he complies. He says, "Fine." Yep. Right? Fades into the background. Yep. Yeah. He doesn't really do what she says. He goes off and he finds like a strategic valley to uh the, apparently to kind of to lure the enemy into okay. the, the narrow straits. It's the old Thermopylae strategy. Oh yeah, I've used that many times. So he doesn't do exactly what Camilla uh, tells him to do, but he is removed from the scene and he only shows up again once Camilla is dying. Hmm. So we can't have two major characters on stage at the same time. I guess so. That's it's just too much scenery to be mm-hmm. uh, or uh, one person can can chew the scenery and everybody else has to kind of stand aside. Right. Yeah. Did you see the the last of the the last two of the Marvel movies? The Infinity War, right? With all the stones and yes. so forth. And then the last one was Endgame. Yes, I saw both of those. So the very final battle scene. There's 40 different characters, right? Yeah. When they're fighting against Thanos. Right, right, right. Everyone comes together and, I mean, it's just, it's a little bit of overkill. It you is. You lose the sense of the excitement if you can't keep track of all the characters it's dizzying right it is dizzying that wasn't the the twist there sorry spoiler alert right a a number of the heroes disappear right are they they're like killed by thanos that's in the that's in the second to last one the The, the infinity war right they all get snapped back into existence in the final well of course right right but then and then but iron man goes down yes right but you're right it's overwhelming it is and uh there's something exciting to see oh here are all the people i mean if you like that stuff Mm -hmm. here are all the people i've been following in they're all together right <laughs> but it's too much it is too much right and that's why so often these stories kind of boil down to the final duel correct right that's an it's an age-old uh, mm-hmm. you know, archetype right so it's going to boil down to uh yeah aeneas and turnus which we'll get to in the next book mm-hmm. right so camilla engages in the battle she's right. taking over and then our the, turnus is spirited away he's spirited away he'll show up later mm-hmm. and but then then the camera zooms up to olympus and we get a divine scene right and this is where diana comes in and i love these divine scenes by the way you do oh yeah yeah i think it's a very clever device to take us away from all of the hubbub and the topsy-turvy of you know mortal events and give us the olympian perspective exactly meanwhile up on olympus exactly right that would be a good name for a talk show, by the way. What? The Olympian Perspective. That would be. I like that. You maybe, like that? Maybe there's a second podcast that you can you Maybe can so. Like right? the uh, McNeil, what was it? McNeil Lair, Lair News Hour. Right, right. News Hour. <laughs> right. Right, right. And the old Dana Carvey impersonation. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, the Olympian Perspective. That's, yes. I like it. I like okay. it. So in this Olympian Perspective, we have Diana. She's talking to one of her uh, uh, divine sisterhood, somebody amongst her clan. Opus is her name. And um, she uh, immediately kind of this invites a comparison between Diana and Camilla. Right. And so I think this is kind of what, what Genovese was saying is that this also, by extension, connects her to Dido. So Dido, Virgil compares to Diana. And then the fact that Diana is 
um, is care so much for Camilla, mm-hmm. we see a similar kind of connection here. She, and how, how is Camilla described? Uh, as cara mihi ante alias, so huh. dear to me before all others. Right. I mean, that's uh, it's high praise. That's high praise. Yep. That's how I usually refer to you. Oh, really? When I talk about my co-host. <laughs> a, a co-host than which none greater can be conceived. Oh, wow. Exactly. Man, I like that. It's just empty flattery. No, that's all it is? Oh, man. <laughs> but I, what I think I, what the part about this story I love is that we don't just get Camilla arriving on the scene. We get her really wonderful backstory. Right. We get an origin story of right. Camilla. Yeah. So we learn that um, uh, his Camilla's father is one uh, Metabus. So he's, a, he's a tyrant. And he's driven from his throne. Is, is it Metabus? Metabus. Did you take one of those? <laughs> take two Metabus and call me in the morning? <laughs> no, no. I took one of those from uh, Flint to Cincinnati. Oh, once. yeah, the Metabus. The Metabus. Exactly. That's a nice smooth ride. It is smooth because you're not really <laughs> on the bus. It's even beyond bus. It's like, exactly. It's Meta. It's Meta, right. <laughs> so Metabus is a tyrant. Yes. And uh, driven. This is ironic. He's driven. Ha ha, that's funny. Oh, nice. Metabus is driven from his throne mm-hmm. by his subjects. Yep. And flees with his infant daughter, Camilla. Right. So, okay, so that bring us back to kind of the Volscian, the Volscian aspect of it is that, again, uh, I think, I think uh, Meta, Metabus is, mm-hmm. he's a Volscian and he's a tyrant. And so I think Virgil's kind of underlining that, okay, these are the, these, these primal enemies of yes. Rome. That's another reason to not like him. Because they're not like a republic, which we still are in the Augustan era, no matter what anybody says. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. They were, they're run by tyrants, Metabus. Right. So he's he's chased out of town, and he's eventually surrounded by his his armed uh, uh, Volscians, his, right. his, his townspeople, on all sides. And he comes to a river that he uh, looks difficult to cross, and he decides to um, save his daughter and commit his daughter to the goddess Diana in this oh, very striking this is way. Great. So he binds his daughter in some fashion, right. to the spear. I think it was with duct tape. It must have been. It must have been. And then chucks the spear and the baby to uh, safety. Uh, to safety across the river. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to read some Latin here? I would love that. Okay. This is line uh, 557 and following. Alma te banc nemarum cultrix latonia virgo ipsa pater famalam wobeo to a prima peraordras te latinen suplex hostem fugit acipatestor. Diva tuam quae nunc dubiis commititur auris. So this is what Metabus says before he launches the spear. Yes, this is his speech. It is, yes. And so uh, Lombardo translates uh, this as follows. Lady of the woods, gracious daughter of Latona, this child, I, her father, vow to your service. Yours is the first weapon she grasps as suppliant, flying through the air to escape her foe. Accept her as yours, goddess, I implore you as I commit her now to the perilous air. Mm, interesting. Do, do you think, are we supposed to, is this supposed to raise sympathy for Metabus and or Camilla here? It's supposed to raise sympathy for Camilla, for okay. sure. I'm not sure for Metabus. Right. I think he's a, a bit character. Yeah. Right? But I think it is supposed to raise uh, a lot of sympathy for Camilla. She's an orphan, right? Yeah. And she had a rough upbringing. She's yeah. like Moses left in the bulrushes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's kind of like that. It's also, uh, I don't think this is deliberate on Virgil's part, but it reminds me of a scene in Caesar's De Bello Gallico where a message has to be uh, taken inside the camp by a spy. Mm-hmm. And so the message is strapped to a spear and then the spear is thrown inside the camp. Oh, I don't remember that. And no. when it's retrieved, then there's the message. Gotcha. So there's a long history of sending uh, messages and um, these kinds of interesting plot twists where the baby's strapped to the spear. Yes. Right, and then the dedication of the of the child to the goddess. Right. So I guess this for ex- safekeeping. This explains you know why Diana and Camilla or Diana has a, a special kind of favor for. Right. Her, right. Like leaving the baby um, Oedipus, you know, 
uh, leaving him out on the hillside yeah. and, and uh, tamping him down with uh, tent spikes through his his heels. Yeah. Right? While we're leaving him to the gods, they can do with him what they want. Right. And it's, they saved him for a worse fate, as we know. Yeah. No, you know, there's, so I'm, I'm sure that, you know, Virgil's original audience would have been reminded of those kinds of yes. archetypal stories. But there's a twist here is that Metabus, he ends up going across the river. He makes it across. Yeah. So why didn't he just hold her? <sighs> who knows? I, I, who knows? It, it's very dramatic. And so, um, but then he goes from place to place and nobody will accept them. You know, he's the dread tyrant. Nobody wants to take him in. Mm. And so he goes... He goes kind of savage. Yes. He lives in the woods. He becomes feral. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yep. One of those feral children like Mowgli. Yeah. Or Tarzan. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. And a little uh, uh, foreshadowing. Um, and so they're living out in the woods. Right. And he's raising, he's nursing Camilla with horse milk. Really? Yes. yes. Speaking of horse milk. Yes. It's time for the ads. This episode of Odd Nauseam is brought to you by Ratio Coffee. Hey, Dave, I, I just realized yes. um, very recently that uh, Ratio doesn't just sell the Ratio 6 and the Ratio 8. Right. Know, the machines we've been talking about for a long oh, time. Oh, yes. They sell their own coffee and all kinds of other accoutrements. They do. They do. And so I got a shipment of their Ethiopian blend. Oh, that has uh, got to be Yurgachev? What's that? Yurgachev. That's y the Ethiopian? Is that what it is? I'm probably mispronouncing it, but... It is like heaven in a cup. Is that right? It is the best coffee in the world, in I, my opinion. I haven't tried it yet. I'm so, oh, I I'm so love excited, Ethiopian so. coffee. But uh, I just wanted, I wanted to alert our listeners that if you, they go to ratiocoffee.com, they're going to find a lot more there than just these two uh, wonderful machines that we, we spend most of our time talking That's about. That's correct. These ads. Yes. So they also have uh, grinders and um, nice mugs and lots of accessories. Yes. Right. So, um, but uh, in terms of their kind of their star, their star attractions, it's the ratio six and the ratio eight. Yes. Yep. Now, Jeff, this week I came in contact with yet another AI bot. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's, it's Google's new experiment called Bard. Okay. And uh, so, you know, being the kind of gullible person I am, yeah. I asked this question. I gave it this instructions, these instructions. Write a limerick about coffee. Okay. Oh, no. You want to hear it? I'm bracing myself. Here it goes. Let's hear it. There once was a bean from Peru whose flavor was smooth and its hue, a lovely dark brown, it could wake you up now and make your day start anew. Do they really just rhyme now with brown? Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, Peru, hue, and anew, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. not too bad, but brown and now? No. I think it's a little better than the one chat GPT gave us. I was thinking the same thing. A little tiny bit yes. better, but still. I'm still not. Mm, I'm, st I'm not worried about the robots taking over quite yet. No, not limerick <laughs> writing. We can we can beat this. Oh, without a doubt. Right. Yeah. But if you listener would like to get some uh, great deals on your, your coffee, your coffee game, mm -hmm. what do you need to do? You need to go to RatioCoffee.com. Check out these wonderful machines, the Ratio 6 and its older brother, the Ratio 8, and type in the coupon code ANCO. Nine Y. Mm -hmm. As in yummy. The Y stands for yummy. That's what it is this mm -hmm. week? Okay. Or Yurgachev, the Ethiopian coffee. There. Even better. Mm -hmm. And that will get you, I believe, 15% off your entire order. That's correct. Check it out. This episode of Ad Nauseam is also brought to you by the good people at Hackett Publishing. Hackett Publishing with offices in Indianapolis, Indiana and Cambridge, Massachusetts. They have been bringing fine, fine translations and other kinds of works of literature to a mass audience for 52 years now. Yes, they are as old as I am. Wow, that's really old. It is really old. It's ridiculous. <laughs> In temporibus antiquissimis. Yes. 
And uh, Jeff, what do you like about? I, well, I, what I love about you—you you mentioned you call them good, good people. It's true. These guys right. have been with us from almost the very beginning of this podcast. They took a chance on a couple of of knuckleheads like That's us, right? And they stuck with us. Um, they and, said we want to promote the classics. Right. We want to bring it to the people. Let them hear. Right. Yes. Exactly. Right. So um, they're These just crazed ravings. Yeah. And so I'm just impressed with them as the people, like the guys that there that we've interacted with have mm -hmm. just been just right on board, very right. supportive. Um, and so all that into in, in addition to these wonderful books that they publish, right? Um, um, these and they're affordable. They're very well done. I really like that you can often find uh, multiple translations of the same work. So it's a, right. a, a grand variety. Um, if you're interested in the classics or in really any kind of corner of, yes. kind of histo histo history, uh, literature, philosophy, you're going to find something to to sink your teeth into at Hackett. That's right. So some of the circles I move in, yes, I will hear people complain about you know, the coarsening of culture or the dumbing down of culture. Yes. People aren't reading the classics. They will say they don't know about the ancient authors. They don't know the Renaissance and such. Well, you know, I feel that way sometimes too. It's it's easy to adopt that attitude. But uh, the Hackett folks, they're doing something about it. They are. They have not only a great set of offerings uh, in those very areas, but they're supporting this podcast. Yes. So kudos to them. Yep. They walk that talk. Exactly. So listeners... Uh, do yourself a favor, go to hacketpublishing.com, that's H-A-C-K-E-T-T, publishing.com, find the books that you want, put them in the grocery cart, and what's the code they need to type in? Well, before the code, oh, yes? we have another limerick. We Oh, goodness. Really? Okay. <laughs> this is also from the Google product, experimental product, Bard. Bard. Okay, what is Bard? I said, write a limerick about books. Okay. And here's what it spat out. All right. There once was a bookworm named Bill, okay, so far so good, whose love of books was quite thrill. No. no. Oh, the bottom just dropped out. Exactly. He'd read them by night. Okay. And by day, he'd delight nah, oh. in the worlds that his books could instill. No, no. Oh, that's you terrible. Can't, you can't instill a world. No, that's, that's awful. No, you, that, that word instill can't take world as an object. Uh, and especially a book can't do it. Oh, this bard. That, yes. Yeah, that was a lot worse than the That the was a lot one. worse than the coffee one. <laughs> so I think we're safe from the encroachment of the bots when it comes to the writing of limericks. Definitely, so far. Right? Yeah. But back to the code. Yeah, so what, what's our code? It's uh, AN2023. Yes, and that will get you 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Don't hesitate. Okay, Jeff, so as we get back into this. Yeah. Horse milk? Yeah, we we're talking about horse milk. What's going on with horse so, milk? So Metabus, uh, Camilla's dad, is raising her okay. on horse milk. All right. So I guess that, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think she turns into this wild warrior woman. Right? Is this, um, is it the main reason? Oh, I should have seen that coming. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. it, uh, is it sympathetic magic? Um, I, I think we're supposed to see her as, as almost, you know, part, part animal. Right, right, and I think so. And she's you know, she's become one with the woods. Right, like like uh, great swimmers wear shark's teeth, so they can move as fast as a shark. You know, hunters put on um, the skins of wild animals yes. in order to adapt some of the magical powers. Exactly, exactly right. right. Yeah, no, I I, I like that a kind of sympathetic, yeah. a sympathetic magic that's going on. Right? You you wear the Nike shoes with the swoosh, right, or the little wings. Yes, it, it imparts a kind of uh, power and speed. You might think agility. Exactly, exactly. The right. horse milk then. Exactly. And mm. so it's it's no surprise then that she grows mm -hmm. up the way that she does or turns into who she does. And so... Did, uh, did she yeah. ever refuse the horse milk? I, as far as we know. No, did, she, did she dare say nay? She, oh my 
goodness. Okay, can we move on? <laughs> Come on. There, right. might, there might be a few more in <laughs> okay. there somewhere. Okay. You, you drop them in there as, as you see. Okay, right. all right. Okay. We're going to keep coming back to the horse okay. milk, aren't we? Uh, well, maybe. <laughs> so, horse milk or oat milk? It, it, yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know if people know the oat milk reference back to the the hair of one Calypso. Right, how exactly. How she kept her locks so nice. Exactly. Alcmenides, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway. Uh, Medibus raises Camilla as kind of a mini little huntress and has her mm. throwing these toy spears around the around the forest from a very young age. And so Maybe she, those suction cup darts. Yeah. She, she yeah, started yeah, yeah. out with that. <laughs> exactly. Shoot at my forehead. Right, right. Um, and I thought this was inter- an interesting detail is that... Um, you might not think that the the feral girl in the woods that the right. lo- the local mothers of the local well, towns would think, "Hey, son, maybe you should ask that one out." But she was beautiful. I, that's true. You know, and she can bring him the bacon if she's a huntress. I, I guess so, right? <laughs> right. But quite, quite literally. So the local mothers of the towns uh, say, "Hey, you know, maybe this would be a good, um, you know, a nice gal to have in the family." Right. Um, but I think Virgil offers that detail because he wants to set up the contrast is that you know Camilla is not going to be with any man. Mm. Diana and Diana alone is, is enough for her. And so, so she's going to be like Daphne yeah. or Atalanta. Right, a, a, a would-be virginal maiden. Right. right? And so she's she gonna, in her fierce uh, virginity, she she's like Diana. Mm. Right? So, I mean, the, our listeners will will perhaps know like goddesses like Athena and Diana mm-hmm. they are virginal. They do not have children. Right. And so Camilla, um, she's she imitates the goddess in that particular way. That's yep. right. And so, um, yeah, so I thought, and so as she grows up and she becomes um, uh, this fierce warrior, this warrior maiden, there's kind of a, uh, Virgil's kind of using a bit of a switcheroo here, whereas, you know, in the past, the, the Trojans were aided by the Amazons. Yep. Now we have this Amazon-type warrior who's, who's, um, who's armed against the Trojans. Right. Right. And so maybe that's maybe that's part of the tradition that he's playing with as he kind of creates this this new character. And she yep. she stands in the way of the Trojans fulfilling their fate. Yes. Right. Yeah. Primarily, that's the that's one of the main points. You right. Might say. Right. 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 So still up on Olympus. So Diana is talking about Camilla. She she's upset. She it, this is this is kind of like Zeus and Sarpedon. Right. He sees this this she sees this warriors that she loves, but she knows that fate's demand fate demands that she has to die, and she is not going to escape this war. And so. Diana does what she can do. She says, well, at the very least, I will vow that whoever harms Camilla, whoever kills Camilla, um, he, uh, that person will pay uh, with his own blood. And then she's going to also take Camilla's body away and ha- make sure that she's buried in her fatherland. Well, that's kind. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so there are two, a very, I think, a, a fairly clear kind of reference to the Iliad. Right. Um, we're seeing kind of doublets of, of a number of scenes here. Do you find your sympathy for Camilla growing as the story progresses? I still don't quite... I don't quite kind of see where she meets in. I think I, I'm still bothered by the fact that we don't have kind of some kind of showdown between Camilla and Aeneas or that they don't even encounter each other. It's a, that makes it very difficult for me to kind of to answer the question, what exactly is she doing here? So I think I have to be satisfied that she's a stand-in for the Volscians. And, okay. she, and she kind of, she's... Uh, counterpoint for, to Dido? Counterpoint to Dido or, or at least a foreshadowing of, the, of the, the trouble that the future Romans are going to have with this particular tribe. Right. And so I don't know if there's if there's, to my mind... There's more to it than that. I'm really intrigued by from our opening quote the fact that the the language used about her death is is verbatim that, yes. that's used about Turnus's death. Right. And um, I need to ponder that and think about what exactly that means. Mm. But so that kind of connection between Camilla and Turnus. Okay, what's Virgil up to there? Right. But I was looking for. Um, I was. Uh, I didn't do a huge deep dive. Iconographic representations. Well, I, not only that, I was looking for. Was there? It does. I mean, what kind of you know. German phrase uh, coming in. 
What kind of Nachtleben oh, nice. does Camilla have? And there's not a lot there. I mean, there's some later poetry. I think there was an, a, an opera that mm. was written in the in the Renaissance era about there Camilla. There was the chicken on the Muppet Show. Gonzo's chicken was named Camilla. Oh, I didn't know that. We talked about this Did before. Did yeah, you didn't know it then either. I did. I I was. I never watched the Muppet. Okay, third time. Uh, yeah. The third time we come, you're gonna have to know it. Okay, I will. All right. The, I pr- the I character Gonzo had a chicken named Camilla. Okay. All right. Okay. So there's your reference. But yeah. I did find this possible reference. Okay. There's a. A painting by uh, Sandro Botticelli, one of my favorites. Of course, Little um, Barrels. And this is from, um, it's now hanging in the Uffizi Gallery, which is um, n- not far from his most famous painting, The Birth of Venus or, right. or Primavera. In Florence. Uh, in Florence. And there is a painting that's usually given the title of uh, Palace in the Centaur, which uh, apparently uh, shows a depiction of, of Minerva. So, so this is Athena. Athena. Pa- palace Athena. Not the palace who's the character in the Aeneid, the young man. Yes. But Athena's alternate name. Exactly. Which is Pallas. Yes. And she's also called Minerva. Minerva, right. So in this painting, uh, she has a, a large kind of, uh, what would you call that? A pole arm? Oh, it's a, it's a halberd? Halberd, I yes. I think it is. It's a long, spiky, speary thing yeah. with a cheese slicer on one side. Exactly. An axe head. And she's uh, she has a hand. She's kind of grasping the hair. Of a, of a nearby centaur. He, I think she's picking nits. Is that what she's doing? Yeah, she's looking for lice. He doesn't look too happy about what's happening. but it's, Well, it's because he's in pain. And so it's, it's, she's kind of grabbing the hair and like in controlling him. He'll feel better once those lice are out. That's true. Um, so usually the way this this uh, uh, this painting has been interpreted in Botticelli, we see this in others' paintings, it's, it's a lot of allegory going on. Right. Now, I mean, this is a very standard um, ancient theme, the the triumph of civilization over nature. Yes. Right? So Minerva, uh, Pallas Athena here, is civilization. Mm-hmm. The centaur is the savage. Exactly. It's interesting, though, if I may digress for a moment. Yes. That in other settings, the centaurs are shown as... Um, well, they're also shown as forces of savagery. Mm-hmm. The famous battle between the Lapis and the Centaurs. Yes. The Lapis are civilization. This is on the Temple of Apollo at Olympia, right? And the Centaurs are savagery. But then there is the exception, Chiron. Yeah. Um, the Centaur, mm-hmm. right, is a force of civilization for right. Achilles. Yes, he's a he's kind of the ancient Greek Yoda. That's right. Right. He, and for many other heroes. Right. So he's he he trains Achilles. He trains Jason. Right. And so that so yeah, centaurs Mr. are Mr. Miyagi. Exactly. Right. So they're um, centaurs are often depicted as being um, primordial. Yes. They're very close to nature, and that's what makes them dangerous. However, as a so as a class, yes. as a whole. They're dangerous and destructive and nasty. Right. But they belong to deep nature, and that's often where you're going to find that, you know, that primordial golden age wisdom. Right. So a character like like Chiron steps out of that, and he becomes, if you, if you can find him, if you can persuade him, right. he will become your Jedi master. So it's interesting that the, the one character of the group as a whole, um, how do I want to say this? I'm struggling here with my words, but if the group as, as a whole is characterized very negatively, the extreme individual in that group can have a positive characterization. Yes. That's Chiron. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, right. I think that's right on. So what is this, in this painting, Palace in the Center, what does this have to do with Camilla? Well, maybe not much. uh, What I found in looking into this is that um, the earliest descriptions of the painting that survive um, say this is Camilla and the centaur. Botticelli didn't leave any show notes or anything? He, no. he was very bad at that. Didn't write anything on a cocktail napkin? Nothing, nothing. No scrawl on the back of the canvas, nothing. Mm. And so that's that's led some to believe, well, you know, if it's the earliest description, maybe that's the more accurate one, right? Mm. So the, the applying Occam's razor. Right. I think it's hard to I think it's hard to to make a case for it. And so hearing say to Camilla as here, it's a warrior maiden 
and uh, she's taming a centaur because that's something that Camilla would do. Mm. Are there eh. any centaurs on the Italian peninsula? I don't know exactly. That doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Mm. And so I think kind of looking at this through the lens of civilization and nature, that's kind of it's obvious to me. Right. So yeah, I was just grasping for some kind of extra Aeneid yes. uh, reference to Camilla. And there's right. just not a lot out there. Yes. So That's tough. I, I haven't encountered anything either. She wasn't a character that like later authors or painters like seized upon and said, I want to know more about her or extend her mythology. Did, I wonder why that is. I don't know either. Huh. So not only is there room for a story on Lavinia, but there's room to develop Camilla's story quite exactly. a bit too. Exactly. And for yeah. another brief digression, you know that uh, research universities often come up with different kinds of study institutions. Oh, yeah. Uh, Center for Hellenic Studies yes. at Princeton and so forth. Yep. How come there's no Center for Centaurs? There, there should be a Centaur should Center. Be. That's right. Oh, man. Where do you work? I work at the Center for Centaurs. <laughs> it's a missed opportunity. It's a very missed very large missed opportunity. Yes, yeah. So what would they serve at depart departmental meetings and so forth? Like for snacks? Yeah, horse's milk. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we to bring that back around. Yeah, all right. All Let's right. get back to it. All right, so um, we're done with Olympus, and we're now back down on the, on the, the battle plane, and we're ready for Camilla's Aristea. And this is pretty, this is some thrilling stuff. Um, she has her moment on the stage, and she, she kills you know countless named characters right. and such. And so the war breaks out anew. And we got this great epic simile. Yeah, yeah. Roll yeah. tide, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So that as the tide kind of sucks back and rolls in, such was the surge of the battle back and forth, mm -hmm. right? And so um, it's one side has the upper hand, and then it goes in the other way. And then Camilla takes center stage. Mm -hmm. How about a little bit more Latin here? I'd Dave? love to do that. So that's, uh, we're going to start at line 648. Mm-hmm. At medias in tercaides exultat Amazon, un exerta latus pugnae fari trata Camilla, et nuc lenta menus bargains astilia denset, nunc validam dextra ardrapet in de fessa bipennem, ardreas sexumero sonat arcus et armadianae. Nice. And Lombardo. Such beautiful poetry. It is, I just pause to say how beautiful this is. It is great. It's, it's just gorgeous. It, it rolls like the waves of the sea. It's incredible. It's great. So Lombardo translates, Camilla raged. An exultant Amazon, one breast bared for battle, a quiver on her back, whipping javelins from her hand or wielding a heavy battle axe for hours on end. So the battle axe, I mean, it's like Botticelli's painting. That's correct. Yeah. Diana, Diana's golden bow clanging on her shoulder. And when she was forced by pressure behind to withdraw, she turned in her saddle, bow in hand, and took aim as she fled. Isn't that the, the so-called Parthian shot? It is. They would, as they retreated, they would turn back and fire. Well, apparently the Scythians could do that as well. Yeah. Any of these nomadic peoples. And apparently also the Mongolians were famous as a horse riding people. Yeah, yeah. And I was reading this week about the Comanches as well. The Comanches of the you know American Plains. Yes adapted to horse culture in record speed you know mm -hmm. record time they became masters of horsemanship in a faster pretty much than any other culture had done so is that right well because horses were not indigenous to north america course, they right. were brought by the spanish yes the comanches adopted and mastered it really fast that's really interesting so that's like camilla yep um continuing on um around her were her hand-picked companions Virgin Larina and Tula and Tarpea, slicing the air with her bronze battle axe, daughters of Italy, whom godlike Camilla chose as her glory in both peace and war. Hmm. So she surrounds herself with right. like-minded virginal warrior maidens. Right. Yeah. This is really, really interesting. I guess to kill men more effectively, you can't have any interest in or affection for them? I guess so. Is that kind of the trope? I guess so. Yes, none of those, none of those feelings get in the way right. uh, between uh, your sword and your victim. Right. right? Yeah. I'm not going to have any interest in him, so I may as well kill him. Might as well kill him. Right. Exactly. 
And then there's another simile where then Virgil goes on to invite direct comparisons between Camilla and the Amazons, if it wasn't clear already. Mm. And so uh, he says, you know, uh, to the reader, think of of Hippolyte and Penthesilea in battle, and then you'll mm-hmm. get the, you'll get a proper picture of kind of who uh, who um, who Camilla was. And then so so yeah. he's able to reach back into Greek myth, yes, and bring in some famous characters, right? And I think he also kind of he foreshadows the, uh, Camilla's death because Penthesilea killed by Achilles. Oh yeah, um, Hippolyta is you know duped by Heracles when he right. steals the her, her battle belt, and and so these are all these are both. Characters invites the Amazon comparison, but also kind of mm-hmm. tells us this is where this story is going, mm-hmm. right? Then we get a long list of, of 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 those killed by Camilla. There's too many to to name here, but I thought this uh, the way that um, she trash talks is just is so wonderful. Um, and uh, so it's not just killing people, but she kind of rubs their face in it. The as monologue, she does. <laughs> the monologue is great. This guy uh, Ornatus, yeah, or- right? Yeah, exactly. He really gets it. So, Dave, we need some Latin here. Set this up. All right. So, this is line 686. We're going to read four of these now. Silviste tirdene feras agitara putasti, ad venet qui vestra dies muliebribus armis, verba redar guaret no mentam and haud leva patrum, manibus hoc referes te lo cecadissa camillae. All right. And this is. Um, yeah, what does Lombardo say? Lombardo says. says uh, so, this is Camilla uh, kind of taunting Ornatus, right? Oh, yeah. So, did you think you were hunting animals, Tuscan? This is the day all your big talk is squelched by a woman's weapons. But you can boast of this to your ancestral shades, that you went down by Camilla's spear. Ooh. It's, I, I think ah, I, that is a great battle boast. It is. I mean, it's kind of got like this dual insult. On the one hand, she's saying, you're like, are you kind of ashamed that you were killed by a, by a woman? Right. But, but the, she also says, well, you know, actually, you can boast about this yes. because I'm a great warrior. Yes. You yeah. got killed by someone famous. Yes. Yeah. So the second line is muliebribus armies, women's weapons. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's exactly how he, he translates it. Yeah. So. Right. But and you can boast about it to your ancestral shade. Exactly. You're going to die. You're going down below. But tell them that's, that's what happened. Right, so it's not got, so bad. You got this going for you. Right. right. And then there's this wonderful, uh, which I can only describe as kind of a hold my, hold my beer moment. Yeah, I know that trope kind of vaguely. Yeah. What is it? That means like... Hold my beer, I'm going to do something great. I'm going to do something great. Like something like somebody throws down like a, a, a kind of a, a vague challenge. Right. And say, you know, hold my beer for my... I'll show you what I can do. I got right? it. And so there's a there's a, a character. I think he's 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 not named. We only get him as uh, a patronym. He's Aunus's uh, son. Hmm. Starts mocking Camilla and says, oh, "The only reason you're you're having any success out here is because your your horse. You have a good horse, and your horse is really fast. And um, and that's all that's there to you. You yourself are are kind of a nothing. But right. it's just your ride. Yeah, you right? got, you're right. not so get out of the car. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. You're not so great when you're sitting when you're not sitting in that Lamborghini, for example. Right. And so um, Virgil su- suggests that Aunus' son, his idea was, get her off her horse, she'll be vulnerable, I'll take care of her. But what does Camilla do? She hops down, she runs over, grabs the reins of this guy's horse. Um, and outruns the horse. Outruns right. the horse, grabs the reins, and then kills him. With shuts the, him up. Oh, my. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any hold my beer moments? Um, Boy, not that I can think of lately. Nothing no. just to mind, right? No. No. Me either. It's, I, sometimes I'll... Maybe at our advanced age... <laughs> We're the ones holding the beer. <laughs> Sometimes I'll have, the, have. Have you ever had these moments where you're, like, you're standing like in a, in a hall or you're in a line with people and you're overhearing a conversation mm-hmm. and, the, and you want to get into you it. You want to get in, or, or yeah. somebody says something that's so often wrong. Oh yeah, and you and you you everything in you wants to step in and say, but you know it's wrong. But you know it's yeah. Okay, so I did have a moment like this. Okay, I was in the gym. 
Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. And I was exercising and I saw someone doing one of the lifts mm-hmm. and they were not doing it right. Uh Oh, and I was really concerned they were going to hurt themselves oh, no. because it's not how you do it. You can't put that much weight on that part of your body. And and I was just I just wanted to say, don't do that. Yeah. But, um, but you didn't. No, because it's kind of creepy. It so is. Right. You I couldn't do it. You have to be very careful in those right. situations. Right? So I didn't. Right. But that would have been a, I guess that would have been a hold my beer. Kind I of. guess so. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't want to and I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be. No. The, I don't want to be the well actually guy. Well, actually. <laughs> and so I always I usually refrain and I hold my beer uh, to myself. There you go. Right. Right. There you go. So, so then what happens to, to Tarkon? Tarkon, Jupiter comes out, whips Tarkon into action. I think we met him earlier, right? Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's an ally of, of the Trojans. Mm-hmm. Then we didn't see him for a while. Yeah. So he was more of Tarkov. <laughs> nice. So he tries to whip his men into action, and he kind of he plays the, the gender card, too. He says, oh, look, you're letting this woman get the best of you. Uh, Turn around and get back in there. Oh, he's going to he regret mopes. that. Oh, he's going to re- regret it big time. Um, but we're kind of dialing down to the end of the, yes. of the, of the, uh, episode of the book here, of the book. Right. Yep. And so, um, as we learned, Arun's is the one who is going to be fated to kill uh, Camilla and he's mm. been watching her. And this is where, uh, as our opening quote says, Camilla is distracted. She sees a certain, uh, Chlorius and she's distracted by kind of the, the shiny things he's wearing mm. and she goes after him. Is this a gender stereotype? Well, it, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, we, we made the comparison with like Atalanta. Yeah. Is the one when it was distracted by, by the, the golden apples. By the golden apples, right. by, the, by the shiny things, mm-hmm. right? Um, or um, Achilles on the island where he's dressed like a woman. In, yes. And all the, all, the, all the young women are, are distracted by the jewelry and he goes for the helmet and the, spe- and the sword right. or whatever. Well, so, in the Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata, yeah. if we want to introduce a mini ad right here, yeah. we could do that. I think it's chapter seven, Roma Taberna. Uh, you know, the Roman shop, there's mm-hmm. a line, um, Femini ornamentis delectantur. Women are pleased by jewelry, <laughs> right? Right. Now, I think on the whole, that's true. Women yeah. like, But it's it's not false that men like jewelry. Right. So I do think it is kind of playing a little bit on a gender stereotype. It's, it is. It's a fairly mild one. I don't think it's offensive to to be told that you like jewelry, is it? I don't think so. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think probably some people would say, "Oh, that's you know, that's that's sexist." Needs to be revised, right? But I don't think Virgil it, he gets carried away with it. I, I mean, and in some, in some ways, I think you could make the argument that Camilla just sees Chloris as her next target, not necessarily that she's kind of she's distracted by the shiny baubles. No. I don't think Virgil goes that far. No, no, maybe no. he's just someone who's good to loot, right? Because part of the killing, you know, is uh, that you get to loot them afterwards. Exactly. You, you take the spoils. So here's some some good spoils. Yes. And so Aaron's is kind of, he's watching what's happening, and he sees a Camilla uh, being distracted, and he says, here's my chance. Right. You want to read Lombardo's translation of this yes. episode? It's great. So uh, where does this begin here? He says, uh, he, he, he prays. Yes. Yeah, so he prays to Apollo to guide his spears. He wants only her death, no spoils. Apollo heard his prayer, and in his heart granted half of it, and scattered half to the winds. Arons would defeat Camilla, yes, and lay her low in death, but his high fatherland would never see his return. That prayer the winds bore away to the southern storms. And so as the spear flew from his hand and hissed through the air, all the Volskians turned their eyes and hearts to their queen. But she herself noticed neither air nor sound, nor weapon coming out of the sky, until the spear transfixed her bared breast and drank her virgin blood from deep within. I like that too. It's almost a moment where, again, the... Everybody stops to see. Like everybody sees the spear, it's awful. except for Camilla. Yes, and, and it, as it flies through the air, everyone follows it. And she doesn't notice. Yes, such a, a contrast. Right. Her comrades hurried around her in alarm, 
and caught their mistress as she fell. Arons, more frightened than any of them, ran away in mingled joy and fear, unwilling to trust his own spear or face Camilla's weapons. So even as she's dying, yes. he's afraid. Yes. He yeah. might get it. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. What a fascinating character. I, I think I can, part of my frustration is I want to know so much more. Mm. I mean, Virgil takes his time to give us her backstory right. and all this stuff, and then she's on stage for just a, such a short amount of time. Mm. Right? Maybe you need to fill it in, fill in the gaps. We, it, we, we could write that novel. It's, it's waiting to be done. Right. So Camilla dies, and she uses her last words, uh, her sister Akka, is, is near her and tells her uh, with her last breath, go get Turnus, get him back to the battle. Mm. And so this, and then this sets up. This the, sets up book 12. Sets up book 12. The final denouement. Yep. To use another German word. Yep. But Ahrens, of course, is, is uh, <laughs> nice. Thanks. Ahrens is, he's doomed as well. And so Diana, as she said, she swore, you know, whoever does this is going to be laid low too. That's so, right. Um, and it happens almost immediately. So Opus this uh, handmaiden of, of of Diana goes down. She's been watch, watching this, and she strings an arrow almost immediately and sends it whizzing through Aaron's chest, mm. and he's done. Mm. Camilla's gone. Her men retreat. So do the Rutulians, mm -hmm. galloping back toward the city walls. The Trojans take advantage yep. and slaughter hundreds yes. on the threshold of the city. Right. So Akka goes and finds Turnus. What, what's he been doing? Why is he out in the forest? Is, what's he waiting for? This is kind of, this is very odd to me. Well... I don't know. Maybe you're just asking too much. Yeah, he's he's he, got to be off. He's got to be stage. off the stage, right? Maybe he's having a sandwich, right? So. Tying a shoelace, one of life's many indignities. Yeah, I guess so. Right? I mean, first he goes off on that boat. I mean, right. that was no fault of his own. No, he was tricked into it. Tricked, but now he's kind of just out lingering in the forest. And so Akka goes and finds him and says, hey, you got to come back. My yeah. sister's dead. Spurs him back to the city. No reason is really given for his absence. I guess so. But we don't need one. No. Remember what you tell your students. Right. Um, if the poet doesn't talk about it, it's not Germaine. Exactly. He controls the world. Yeah, exactly. That he creates. Well said. And so as the book ends, night falls and the Trojans are are camping right outside the city. Um, and those in the city are, are, are scrambling to kind of um, to strengthen their defenses. Yes, because this is it. This is it. Speaking of this being it, we got to get out of here. We do got to get out That's of here. That's the end of book 11. You realize, Jeff, there's only one more one book. One more book to go. Yes. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm excited to get to, get to the to the, uh, to the grand finale. Yes. yes. And then the interpretation, because we've promised throughout this long, long, long series. Yes. When we get to the end of it, we're going to talk about what does it mean? Yes. What, I, what did C.M. Baura thinks, think it means? What did uh, C.S. Lewis think it means? And, yes. and many others. Uh, does Brooks Otis weigh in on this? Oh, of course he does. Of course. Yeah, we got to uh, get Brooks in there. That's one of the, the most interesting questions about the about the whole epic. Right. Can't wait. But hey, Dave, before we go, tell us a little bit about the Moss Method and LLPSI. Right. So if you want to study Greek and you want to learn how to read uh, the poetry of Homer, for example, or you want to read Plato or Xenophon or... Aristotle, Demosthenes. Aristotle's having a renaissance. Is he? Yes, he is. Uh, there's a lot of metaphysicians, Thomas Fazer and others, who are uh, reviving interest in Aristotle. Very interesting. I can teach you how to read that stuff. Fantastic. Using my Moss Method course. Go to mossmethod.com. Check it out. Again, I have to say, it may not be the absolute best way to learn Greek in a self-paced, accessible, and expert format, but I'm confident it is the best value in terms of what you get for what you have to pay. Indeed. And if you want to get some Latin, go to latinperdiem.com slash LLPSI. I have 1,940 freely available mini Latin lessons wow. covering a wide range of authors, but I also have a uh, enrollment program where you can study the Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata with me and like the Greek course, you get weekly office hours. Fantastic. Excellent. 
So, Dave, who do we got to we got to, to thank? We got to thank Mishka. Yep, as always, our sound engineer who turns these around in record time she and does. edits them, makes them sound good. Uh, and clean and nice. Thank you, Mishka, for your great work. We need to thank our musicians. Yes, Scott Menzen and Ken Tamplin for the great guitar that you hear throughout. Uh, mm-hmm. These guys, when I listen, when I hear them, they kind of might make me want to kind of give up playing guitar. Really? Yes. <laughs> it, 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 it's one of those where I'm like, ugh, I'm never going to get there. Yeah. But that's, uh, it's, well, but you, there's other things you can do. Of I, course. I don't think Scott knows a lot of Latin, but right. boy, that guy can play the he guitar. He can play. It's, it's amazing. beautiful, bluesy, uh, rock kinds of uh, melodies very nice yeah you can check out his guitar school or ken's vocal academy what's coming up next week jeff next week i'm going to be in greece you're going to be in greece so we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus yes bring that word back in there a little breathing a little breather when you return it's tarzan and tradition part one that's going to be really interesting Mm -hmm. this is something that i have i have not read about yet i'm excited by kind of your your setup awesome fascinating material talk to me about it it sounds great yes and uh, what if they want to um get a t-shirt or uh, contact us what should they do well they should go to oddnauseum.com don't forget the v in there and you can go to the the store find yourself a nice t-shirt a quai no kent do kent uh, a t-shirt with that's right with heracles uh, um holding up the world or yes right exactly. fighting a lion right um and please write to us you can write to dave at dave at adnauseum.com don't forget the v or you can write to me jeff at adnauseum.com also, don't forget the v don't forget that v. i had to work that in there do my part so if you want a shout out if you get ideas for episodes you got questions you got complaints don't hesitate to contact us we want to hear from you we want to hear the complaints too jeff we do i i think i think uh well all, we don't really all's fair all's fair <laughs> okay yeah. And Dave, I think you have our gustatory parting shot. I do. And this is from the inimitable Julia Child from her work called My Life in France. Have you seen uh, that movie about the two Julias or I can't remember the name of it, but it's a story about Julia Child's life. Oh, I know. She, I have not seen it. I've heard. I it's know what quite you're interesting. About, yeah. Have you seen the Dan Aykroyd impersonation of Julia Child on the old Saturday Night Live? I haven't seen that. No. That is very funny. <laughs> okay. So I don't think this, this quote is so funny. It's yeah. just kind of endearing. Okay. I just kind of like it for that reason. And I can't do the Julia Child voice, but <laughs> but my favorite remained the basic roast chicken. What a deceptively simple dish. I had come to believe that one can judge the quality of a cook by his or her roast chicken. Hmm. Above all, it should taste like chicken. All right. I'm with her so far. Yes. It should be so good that even a perfectly simple buttery roast should be a delight. I like that about Julia Child. She never kind of, she never got too kind of crazy and fancy. No. She like back she, to the basics. Yeah, right? she mastered French cooking, yes. I guess, which is very complicated, but her focus was always on what tastes good. Exactly. What's simple. That's excellent. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.